life. Infinitely fragile, and yet often deceptively mundane, somehow in the same space. Or more like the same time. Time. The most precious currency we have, no matter how hard a bargain you drive, you can never get it back. We trade it for people and power and things, hoping that in the end we'll understand what it means to live. But sometimes the end is a surprise. One we couldn't predict or expect, regardless of all our calendars and notifications, there are still some things beyond the reach of our front right pocket. So, if the author of time and of space stood before you today, and with the words of his son, he told you that your soul was required of you, not this night, but in 35 minutes. If your heart was laid down in its proverbial deathbed and you had this one final opportunity to leave a word of wisdom and of passion with those you loved most, what message would burn inside you worth the finite breaths and fleeting moments you have left? Already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Those are words that I would hope that I would be able to say truthfully in the last few moments of my life. When we were preparing for this deathbed series, we were all asked, all of the people that are speaking, we were asked to come. Uh, at a location that actually was a cemetery. And we each one listened to this monologue, and then we were asked to respond with our thoughts. And the first thing out of my mouth was, he loves you. It's such a true thought. God loves you. It's such a simple thought. But it's the first thing that seems to, the, the thing that is resisted against us, that everything that happens in life tries to get us to think that God doesn't love us, that somehow he's forsaken us, somehow he's turned his face away from us. Think about the difficulties that you go through in life, the things that you're not spared from, relational conflicts and financial strains, health issues, tries to take away this thought that God loves you. I think about our lives even as a sort of gauntlet of sorts that um, there's pitfalls and there's surprises around the corner and things that we didn't expect. And in my mind, I think of a word picture. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie First Night when Sir, Lan Sir Lancelot goes through the, the gauntlet. <laughs> do, you feel, do you ever feel like that? Something's like, wow, I made it out of that circumstance or that situation. And life really can throw those things at us, just things that were so unexpected, like, wow, that one's gonna leave a mark. That one's gonna hurt, right? But in Jesus, we get to survive those things. There's a, um, there's a scripture in Hebrews 5.14, and it says that solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to discern between good and evil. And if we're going to have our senses trained 
to discern between good and evil, aren't we going to have to face both good and evil in our own lives? And so I think sometimes, and me, I'll just say for me, I get a Cinderella syndrome kind of like, or a yellow brick road, like, well, everybody has one bad thing that happens in their life, right? And then it's like, hey, what's going on now, God? Where are you? But it can sometimes get us in a position where we're questioning whether God loves us or not. And that's just simply not the case. The Bible tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing. And that by the end of this message, I might somehow get in your heart that God actually uses difficult circumstances to, to work his love inside of you. Come on, Romans 5, God's love shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit and that he might be trying to get a message to the world through your life, through the way that we respond to the things that happen in our life. Because there's God and we love him and there's a devil and I don't like him very much. He's kind of a bully. And he's, he's working all these situations in our life and he's trying to spin them. Like God doesn't love you. See, you're doing something wrong. See, that's why that happened to you. Because he's intimidated by this, that the message, the story that's inside of you keeps Jesus alive on the earth. The message, the story, the things that you've been through and the way that God helps us walk through them and is actually training us in the process. Come on, Hebrews tells us he's disciplining us. Why? Because he loves us, because we're sons and daughters. But everything that's going on in your life is speaking a message to other people. In fact, the scripture I read at the beginning in 2 Peter, it goes on to say that, that the, so that the message of the gospel might be preached fully through me. And so we think, oh, the evangelists are going to share the gospel of Jesus. No, every day your life is preaching a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we go through these interesting things. Can I get a witness? Anybody else have things like, that came out of left field. That was left hook, right hook. Sometimes I can still stand through that, but that sucker punch gets me every time. And so we're, we're walking through these things. And, and I guess because of that, because I'm just watching the way that lives play out, I'm, I'm so fascinated by stories of survival and war stories and battle strategies. Like, how are you going to work this out? How are you going to win this battle? And I was reading a couple years ago about Marine Special Forces and that when they get dropped into enemy territory, into hot zones, they ask themselves three questions. They ask themselves, number one, where are you? Two, where's the enemy? And three, where's your buddy? And when I read that, I was, the, air, the hair on my arm stood up. I was like, that will preach. That is a message right there, like powerful questions that we should be asking ourselves every day. And I think about that first question, where are you? And I think Marine Special Forces, yes, they are, they are wanting to know where they're at GPS, like coordinate-wise, where am I? But I also think that they're thinking, where am I at mentally? Where am I at emotionally? Where am I at spiritually? And in that, that, first, that first thought of just positionally, where am I? Um, there's a story in the Bible that I wanted to read because I thought it was indicative of a guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time and what can happen for that. You know, God is so particular about our placement and our position. If he placed in Genesis every star in the sky, how much more is he so specific about where he places you? I absolutely believe that, that none of you 
are here for just a random purpose. When, when God moves you to Coeur d'Alene or moves you to an area, he has something very specific in mind. There is something inside of you that's gonna bring something to an atmosphere that nobody else can bring. I mean, we should be thinking about that everywhere we go. Joshua 1 makes it so clear. Every place the sole of your foot touches, God says, I've given it to you. That's the way. That's kind of the, the attitude we should have, especially against the enemy. So I want to talk about, it's in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's about a great man of God just got himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. It starts out, in the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab. Anybody know the problem here already? I mean, sometimes we could just read the Bible and it's a story and it's like, okay, that sounds great. But it's not great because it says in the spring, when kings go out to war, what was David? King. A king. What do kings do? What did David do? Sent Joab, wrong place, wrong time. Might seem insignificant, except we read two sentences down. It's just in verse two. And it goes on to say, in one evening... Because David was home, he got up from his bed and strolled on, around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a beautiful woman. And I think about, was this, do you think, the first time that David strolled around on the top of the palace roof? Probably not. He'd probably done it like 20,000 times before. But this time's different because David's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's not where he's supposed to be. He sees a beautiful woman bathing, and he sends someone to inquire of her. Come to find out, her name is Bathsheba, and she's married to Uriah. Whoa, stop, David. She's married, bro, she's married. What are you gonna do with that? Stop right, stop right there. And she's not just married, she's married to one of your chief soldiers on the field, Joab, I mean, uh, Uriah. And so what does David do? He doesn't stop. He doesn't, his senses obviously have not been trained to discern between good and evil. Here's an opportunity, David. Come on, separate the two. What's good? What's evil? No, he sends for her. He sleeps with her. She gets pregnant. And then he's got this thing he has to deal with. So the first thing he does, instead of right there is his moment. It's like, David, just own it, dude. You made a mistake. You made a bad mistake. Own it, repent, and turn from it. You know, just just come clean with what's happened. But instead, he calls Uriah off the battlefield, which puts his other soldiers in danger. And he tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife to cover his sin. Uriah won't do it. So he sends Uriah back out on the battlefield, puts him on the front line to have him killed. And it looks like maybe that David was able to survive this terrible, terrible mistake. And yet his firstborn son didn't. So I just wonder about the repercussions of sometimes when we get ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, being disobedient to God, how it might impact another generation. Maybe we got away with something, but there's some residue there that might end up in the next generation. There's this theme in the Bible of this question, where are you? And I love to study that out. You know, really, nothing is new under the sun. Anybody that comes up with this great thought or this new idea, usually its origins are in the Bible. I found that. And with this question that the Marine Special Forces asked themselves, where are you? I saw a theme of it in the Bible. I was reading in Genesis 3 about Adam and Eve. 
Eve got herself in the wrong place at the wrong time, starts having a conversation with the devil. You know, that's, it's so important that we are able to discern between good and evil so we are not having conversations. You do not want to get in a conversation with the devil. It'd be, it's full of confusion and chaos. But that happened to Eve, and so she's talking with the devil. She believes him. She does something that she knows isn't right. Her and Adam end up sinning. Now they're hiding. They're naked. They're ashamed. And God is walking in the evening in the cool of the garden, and he asked Adam and Eve this question, where are you? I think he knew where they were locationally. He's like, where's your heart? What's going on in your spirit? Like, what happened? Where are you? Same question again. I think it's in 1 Samuel 10, the story of Saul. Uh, He was chosen to be the first king of Israel. And so they're getting ready to crown him the first king. And they're looking for him. And I'm just trying to think if I was getting ready to be crowned, you know, a king or a queen or president of the United States, I don't think anybody have to go looking for me. Like, I would be ready way ahead of time. I'd be where I was supposed to be. But yet, everyone's searching for Saul. Like, where is Saul? And faithful God, who was there, it says in 1 Samuel 10, that God's walking amongst the crowd. And he goes, here he is. Here's Saul. He's hiding in the equipment. He's hiding in the baggage. Like, Saul, you're getting ready to be king of Israel. Why are you hiding? I just just kind of felt like this was such an important message for someone here today. Like, that we find ourselves hiding from things that maybe we're afraid of, insecure of, but they're actually the plans and purpose that God has for our life. You know, he doesn't do little things. God does big things. He has big things for your life. And yet, he's asking us this question, Where are you? Are you where you're supposed to be? I am trying to set you up for so many amazing things in your life. Don't hide in your issues. Don't hide in the baggage. Don't hide in the shame. Come out of it. In fact, God had to say that to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. This Elijah, this is a guy that called down fire from heaven. Amazing prophet. He changed weather patterns. He told it when to rain and when not to rain. And then all of a sudden, here comes this bully, evil Jezebel, falsely accusing him, intimidating him, and Elijah goes running to a cave, and faithful God goes to him and says, Elijah, where are you? Come out of the cave. I have things for you. I have need of you. I need you to prophesy over nations. And he's saying that to us today, where are you? I hope the greatness of the kingdom is just welling up inside of you. Your part in God's kingdom is so significant. And this question, where are you, is so important. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, the story of Joseph in in Genesis chapter 41. And it was hard for me to read. I really started studying the Bible seriously at the age of 21 when I became born again. And I'm reading the story of Joseph, and I love it. I love the whole story, but I'm like, God, I don't get this. Like, why did he have to go through such incredible, horrible things? Joseph was the guy who got thrown in a pit, betrayed by his brothers, and then he was put in a palace where he was falsely accused, and then he was thrown in a prison where he was forgotten. But if you watch how the story plays out, God was in the midst of it all. He, it, he, from the pit to the palace to the prison, God was preparing Joseph for his promise. Beautiful. And Joseph's promise was actually politics. 
How many people would like if more politicians had to go through the Joseph process? <laughs> Hello. I think we'd have a lot less issues. But Joseph ended up governing over Egypt during the time of famine. But how did God prepare him for that? Can you just be encouraged by some of the difficulties that you've been through that do you think that God might be preparing you for something? It's not what the enemy's trying to whisper in your ear that God doesn't love you. It's the polar opposite. He loves you so much. He's not going to put you on a platform until your character is ready, until you're not going to go running in a cave and you're not going to hide in the baggage when your moment comes, you'll be ready. Hardships prepare us for the things that God has for us. That's the perfectness of God. And speaking of the enemy, the second question that Marine Special Forces ask themselves is, where is the enemy? And I think they want to know, like, if I got dropped, I'd be like, I want to know where the artillery is. I want to know where the machine guns are. I'm sure that they get that down, like, that's, that's where the enemy is. But I think, too, it's good to know the enemy's proximity, how close is the enemy able to get in our lives? You know, the Bible tells us that he only needs a foothold. He just needs these little slip-ups. Think of David. It's like little tiny slip-ups that got it before a huge door got kicked over and for the enemy to just wreak havoc. And so um, we need to know proximity where the enemy is. It says in, I think it's 1 Peter 5, it says, for us, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Any questions <laughs> of what the enemy's intent is? John 10, 10 tells us he does three things. That's all. He, just, he, has, he has three motives in our lives. He wants to kill us, he wants to steal from us, and he wants to destroy us. That's all he's out to do. A good word picture of kind of what the enemy does, because don't you like to know, like, how does he even get access? Like, what is this process where God allows this? But it's, it's played out in Job 1.6. Like, everything we need to know. It's like a war manual. It's like a life manual in the Bible. Job 1.6 paints the picture this way. It says that the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And it says, and Satan came also. And the Lord said, where have you come from? And Satan said, well, I've come from walking to and fro about the earth. I don't think he was on like a Sunday walk just strolling around, right? Because 1 Peter 5 tells us what he's doing. He's walking about constantly looking, who can I trip up? Who can I get into in the wrong place at the wrong time so that I can get them not to walk in the plans and purposes that God has for their life? There's this really cool medical term that physicians or medical like EMTs that come on scenes of accidents or whatever, they have these terms they use. It's called awake and alert, oriented times, and it goes from four to zero. Some of our medical people in here probably know exactly what that is. So awake and alert, oriented times four means you're aware of yourself, your surroundings, your approximate time, and what's going on. Awake and alert, oriented times three, you're aware of yourself, your surroundings, and the approximate time. Awake and alert, oriented times two, you're aware of yourself, your surroundings, times one, you're just aware of yourself. And awake and alert, oriented times zero, you're unconscious. And can you just see how that kind of played out with David? And maybe in our own lives, maybe you're looking back going, man, I was thinking about myself during shelter in place and this corona thing. It's like, 
Doing good, awake and alert oriented times four, shelter in place. I'm feeling awake and alert oriented times three, two. I'm like, Jonathan, I don't think I'm doing so good. God, could you please help me? And he wants to. He wants to help us in that process. Um, this will date me, but anybody remember the game Red Light, Green Light? I played it in grade school. I'm 53, so that was a hugely... Po- oh, good, awesome. So red light means, right, the people coming at you, they have to stop. So, and by the way, the, the title of my message, in case you care, is Woke. It's kind of a funny term right now, right? But it comes from the Bible, from 1 Peter 5, awake and alert. What? What? Be sober, be vigilant. So red light, we're awake and alert, right? Green light, what happens? They start coming. Red light, they have to stop. So it's like woke, not woke. Awake and alert, not awake and alert. So you can keep that in your mind of red light, green light, right? So in this case, we want to stay red light. We want to stay awake and alert. We don't, want the, we don't want to give the enemy a foothold because we know what havoc he'll wreak in that. And it's important. It's not important to camp out on the enemy, but it's important to know what he's after. He's after your heart. He's after your destiny. If he can steal your, des- if he can steal your destiny, he'll start messing with your identity. And it's going to really throw you off course from all the plans and purposes that God has for you. There's a, a Hebrew word that I love. It's chakva. And the definition means wisdom. But because of the the way the Hebrew language works, a word has several different meanings. So chakba means wisdom, but it also means to be skilled at war. And I love the duality of that, to walk in wisdom and to be skilled at war, to use wisdom to as a weapon in your warfare against the enemy. Wisdom, fear of the Lord, walking in wisdom. Come on, the Bible tells us our battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't fight like everybody else, guys. We fight with wisdom. We fight with the word of God. And we handle things in spirit realms before they even hit the earth. That's what God has intended for us. And the third question that Marine Special Forces ask themselves is, where's my buddy? I don't think these Marines are talking about a casual friend or uh, a drinking buddy. I think they're talking about someone that they've watched that's brave, that's courageous, that they would go shoulder to shoulder in the battle with, somebody that would drag their body off of a battlefield. I think about the movie Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody see the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Give me a Desmond Doss friend. He's so unassuming. He wouldn't even carry a gun. But when the fire got hot, when the battle was at its fiercest, he was dragging bodies off the battlefield, hauling them down a steep rock incline. I think he saved seven or 800 people on his own. We all need buddies. We need friends. Uh, Proverbs 18 says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And we have to be aware, like, who are these people in our life? Who are these friends? I think some of them are the people living in your own household. And don't we take for granted the people that are closest to us? Don't they sometimes suffer the consequences of our bad moods and our attitudes when they're the ones, when I think about who would be around my deathbed, my husband and my two sons, Topher and Seth, my daughters, Jamie and Micaiah, my grandson, Jonesy, and many other grandchildren. By then, (laughs) gotta be. I want to make sure that I'm giving my best to them, that I'm cultivating those relationships with those people. Those are people that are going to go into battle with you. And Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 
You know, it's sometimes in the most difficult seasons of your life that you discover who the Desmond Dosses are in your life. Who are the friends that you're supposed to pour more time into? Who are the friends that God's put in your life? Friendships are so important. And I, you know, I can just sense, I have sensed this since we've been able to gather again during this corona pandemic, that there's a new sacredness that we're, I don't know if you guys are feeling that, but there's a sacredness that, wow, I was taking for granted being able to gather with these people and being able to come to church. But in this type of a setting, it's wonderful to come together, and yes, we're the body of Christ, but it's super hard to make deep, intimate relationships in a setting like this. We need to break it down into smaller groups. What Here at Heart of the City Church, we have what we call city groups. And I really encourage you, if you're not part of one, to get involved with one so that you can be known and you can be known by others. It's really beautiful to be known by people. And for when you're going through difficulties that people know the dynamics of your life and you've created trust and intimacy with someone. If you're not part of a city group, you have an opportunity in September. I'll give a little plug. We're having our fall city group launch on September 19th and 20th. Um, and I hope that we've shown here at the heart that we are a safe, healthy place for you to get more intimate. In fact, if you've been hurt from intimate relationships, I believe that you're healed from the same place that you're hurt. Like you're not gonna get healed of those relational hurts that you've had unless you go in and you're brave and you try it again. If you don't take the risk, you're gonna miss out on the wonder. I think even be brave and ask someone out for coffee or lunch. I get like so nervous when I'm meeting with someone for the first time. Anybody else? It's like, what are we gonna talk about? Why did I say I would do this? But every time we start exchanging our hearts with one another and our stories, and man, everybody has such fascinating stories. And also because we know of the nature of how God's uh, built us, we learn from each other's stories. I learn so much from having intimate conversations with people, with people that are in this room. And I really encourage you to do that, like be brave. The proverb says that in order to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. I had one of our young, young people come up to me after service last night and just say, I just wanna let you know that I had, I had backed away from friendship and I was kind of living surfacely and I had been hurt by one of my friends a while ago and I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna be, the, I was waiting for someone to reach out to me and ask me to do something, but I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna be brave and make a friend. Where's your buddy? Where are your friends? Make sure you've got good, solid people around you. It's the way God designed us to be in community. And I can't really let an opportunity like this go by when I'm talking about buddies to talk to you about my best friend. His name is Jesus, for real. I'm not just saying like t-shirts you see at Urban Outfitters, Jesus is my homeboy. He is my friend. He has walked with me through the most difficult things in my life. I gave my heart to him when I was 21 years old. I knew about God before I was 21, but I received him as my personal Lord and Savior when I was 21. I had no idea what I would go through. I had no idea that at 29 years old, I'd be diagnosed with breast cancer. And at 37 years old, I'd be diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And at 42 years old, I'd be diagnosed with melanoma. And it was so beautiful to have a best friend, Jesus, to walk through that with. John 15 says this, Greater love has no man than he lay down his life for his friend. To me, that's Jesus. That's what he did. And, and if I could just have you bow your heads right now. I just want to give you an opportunity. There were, I had heard about God. I had, 
I had heard the gospel before, but there came a time when I was 21 years old, when God had prepared my heart. There was a hunger inside of me to want Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And here at Heart of the City Church, we rarely let a service go by. I don't think we ever do. But we don't offer that for somebody who is also coming to the conclusion that they don't want to do life alone. And if that's you here this morning or online, if you just want to get in the chat box and let us know if you're making that decision this morning, or you can email us at amen at theheartcda.com. But if God is working in your heart this morning, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. I would love to pray this prayer that I prayed when I was 21 years old. If that's you, just raise your hand. God may have been speaking to you throughout this service and you were kind of had a longing or a, or a, a, I see you, I see you, I see you, thank you. It always takes one, right? Just one to be brave. Is there anybody out there? I was thinking the other day that what we surround, what we sur- surround ourselves with is what we're surrendered to. What are you surrounded with? And do you want to surrender your life to Christ this morning? I'll just give it a minute. I'd rather spend more time at this end of giving you the opportunity to come to know Jesus than to preach an entire message. Is there anybody else who would like to give their heart to Jesus this morning? We want to pray with you. Thank you for raising your hand. I'm going to have all of you stand, and we're going to pray this prayer together. I think it's really good for Christians to pray this prayer because then you've got it in your heart for when you're in the grocery store or the coffee shop, and you're going to lead someone to Christ. Amen? And so let's all pray. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for making my life new. In your name, amen. Church, can we respond and celebrate for someone who came into the kingdom this morning whose life has been changed um, for anybody online too that responded to that and the, and the person here in the service uh, we have people back at the lights that would love to pray with you would love to give you a bible if you don't have a bible and we'd love to help get you started on your walk with Christ. Even online, those online, if you're local, we'll get you involved here at the heart. If you're not local, we'll help you find a church. This is the best decision. I think during the season that we've been in, and there's so many different things going on, so many uncertainties, isn't it wonderful to have the certainty of Jesus, that Jesus is with you, that he's your best friend, that he's going to walk with you, he's going to touch you, he's going to use every hard thing you've been through for good. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for those who love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you, Father, for everyone in this room this morning, God. I thank you for the hearts, God, that you were speaking to and you will continue to speak to. And Father, I pray that you encourage people, God, maybe they're in a difficult season and we're just about to believe that lie from the enemy that that you don't love them. God, that your love is just pouring over them again and just washing over them afresh. And Father, I thank you for the strength that comes from your love. And I just ask for a fresh wave of your Holy Spirit this morning. When I think about being woke, being awake and alert, I think about the Holy Spirit. And so Father, I just pray 
Holy Spirit, that you would just move through this morning into people's hearts and spirits. Father, just a fresh wave, just revive hearts and spirits this morning. Father, with the encouragement that only you can bring. Amen.